What's up, you bunch of Girl Scouts? Today, we're here with the Starving Podcast, and I'd like to introduce some of our sponsors. We have Gino Palette. This is a new, uh, DNA company that analyzes your nutrition. It tells you some of your food sensitivities and some foods that you may uh, be better and predisposed to eating based on your different genes. You can get 20%, $20 off using code CBG. So head over to their website or find the link in the show notes. X Endurance, all third-party tested supplements. A lot of our athletes take these supplements, and it takes the guesswork out of wondering if there's anything illegal in what you're taking. So you might want to check them out. They have some great things, protein powder, creatine, immune support, you name it. They have it. Our other sponsor is Performasleep. Now, Performasleep sells mattresses. Mattresses from California King all the way down to the singles for you lonely mother effers out there. So get your performance sleep bed and get $75 off using code CBG. You can find the link in the show notes. This bed specifically has copper infused in it, which allows a good cooling mechanism and is antimicrobial. So head over to performance sleep, get your bed, and get your sleep. Now, today we're talking about COVID-19. And we have an expert on that Jordan's going to tell us all about. It's going to be awesome. We're going to go into a lot of different topics and hear from people that actually know what they're talking about. As opposed to apparently everyone on Facebook today all of a sudden became smart. So you might want to pay attention. Enjoy. It's science. Hey now, hey now. How's everybody doing hey, out there? Hey, what's up? Hi, hi. Hi, hi. All right, guys. Um... We're going to bring you our take on the the World Health Organization declared pandemic of COVID-19. Uh, so obviously, I'm your co-hostess with the Moses Jordan. We got Justin in the background, but we got a, got a nice um, expert on our expert panel today, Dr. Zrinka Oreshkovic. Uh, Zrinka, please uh, say hi, introduce yourself. Um, hi, hi. I'm Zrinka. I have... Well, I'm an immunologist, so I don't know. Is there anything else you want me to say um, right now? No, I think that I think that's it. Zdenko, okay. we just want to yeah. hear. We just want to hear your accent. The audience just wants to hear your accent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Why? <laughs> I don't know why the accent is so. Because it's different. It's different from ours. We're uh, yeah, we're that's Americans. True. That's, yeah, I know. I'm Croatian. I'm Croatian, but I've been living in Czech Republic for about ten years now. So I'm well, kind of naturalized in here unfortunately but <laughs> taken but, yeah yeah but yeah i'm croatian i'm croatian and yes that's pretty much about where my accent is coming from nice taking taking them shots um all right so i think before we get into all the the hype and the hoopla and the numbers i think i'm gonna mm-hmm. be your, your <laughs> i think i'll be your numbers guy today um justin you just want to give a little bit of background on say i think you and zerika could take this like what a virus is as opposed to say a bacteria or I don't know, a tree or something like that. What makes a virus kind of a little bit scarier than everything else at this point? Yeah. The, the viruses um, specifically are dangerous because they have, um, you know, they adapt over time and they have the ability to replicate, um, you know, based off of, um, you know, how dangerous the virus is. Um, or how infectious the virus is. This is really the the big issue, and this is why people are 
or have predicted something like this from happening, you know, over the past, you know, five years, like what's going to kill us is a virus, you know, this small thing that no one can see. Uh, it's not going to be war. It's not going to be these other things. And it's because of the um, infectious nature of them, their ability to replicate and um, the, the time it takes to develop um, vaccinations and other things uh, to eradicate or at least diminish the number of cases. Yeah, guys, the, the thing I just everybody's been doing well with the uh, the news and the social media posting about the difference between a, a virus and a bacterium is, but let's just kind of get it out of the way now that, you know, at least the way I was informed and this definition could have changed, uh, Zinka could probably give a better uh, better definition or working knowledge of this, but like virus isn't alive. It's just a few strands of either RNA or, or DNA kind of put in a nice little fat capsule and it just kind of floats around in the environment. And so everybody knows I study algae, I study diatoms, we have viruses that are targeted towards diatoms that just kind of screw around in the in the water. They live in the soil. They, you know, they screw around in the air. Anywhere where sort of DNA and RNA could be suspended. So it's not like this is something that is completely new. This idea of viruses, it's it's quite uh, it's quite common. There's viruses for everything. So. Well, viruses are interesting because they're kind of a borderline between living and non-living world, let's call it that way. Uh, they are not, they're basically particles. Uh, outside of the host, they are not alive in terms of what we know as living organism, uh, unlikely the bacteria, because bacteria are able to sustain themselves and actually survive even without a host, which the virus cannot do. So this is what they kind of makes them different. Uh, and also the... Well, the genome is slightly different than bacterial, uh, and they need, as they need a host, to, they, do, they do use, uh, especially RNA viruses, they use our, well, hum, human uh, uh, replication mechanisms to replicate themselves, and this is how they can mutate to a very high rate. That's that's pretty scary and crazy all at the same time. I think you, you sound like one of those those pandemic movies, Zarenka. <laughs> Thanks. Well, yeah, I know. Well, well, you should have seen my department in the past two months. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's just, I think let's just dive right into it. So we've already mm -hmm. talked about what, um, what a virus is for the most part. And let's get into what COVID-19 is specifically and what are the, the real threats that, well, we've seen the U.S. facing, but also, uh, the European Union and as it as it uh, spreads globally, what maybe some of the other uh, threats as it exploits like pretty crazy healthcare systems. Uh, so anybody want to chime in on this one first? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> COVID-19 is a novel coronavirus um, and is it's a positive uh, sense single stranded RNA virus and it's contagious in humans. There's still debate amongst whether the virus uh, is contagious droplet, airborne droplet, or strictly airborne. So this is why they have the different masks out there, and there's different PPE. Um, in the United States, at least, if you talk to a healthcare worker, they will describe the virus as airborne. And it's because uh, there are people that are getting infected uh, in rooms that aren't you know, flow positive. 
uh, and they're also wearing N95 masks, which protect, or they're looking for N95 masks, which protect for uh, airborne as opposed to droplet, whereas a regular surgical mask, mask can, um, you know, protect from droplet. Well, for, for the most part, you know, so this is why these N95 masks are short, but the CDC and everyone else seems to claim that the, the, uh, the virus is, um, is droplet. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there, and it could be to not scare the, you know, on our end of the world, the American people. But um, regardless, this is really what, uh, what the, the, sort of the uh, hint at the very uh, out surface of the mechanism of, of this virus. Um, the disease was originally identified in 2019 in, in Wuhan, China. Uh, some symptoms, although there are varying symptoms amongst, you know, different people, seem to be fever, cough, shortness of breath, diarrhea, sore throat, abdominal pain. People since tend to also lose their uh, smell and taste. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's an acute respiratory infection, and really the complications uh, seem to be not only in immunocompromised people, but the uh, potential for... Uh, based on the acute respiratory infection for people to develop, um, you know, acute respiratory distress syndrome and pneumonia and things related to, you know, lower lobe, you know, diseases in the, in the lungs. So this is the, this is my take on what the, what COVID-19 is and this, some of the potential dangers yeah, I think the the problem with a lot of these these things is this thing is still pretty new. So the CDC and the World Health Organization, you know, it calls for the maximum uh, uh, what's it called barrier protection. Not exactly those full gowned hazmat suits because we don't have confirmed uh, you know confirmed evidence that this is one hundred percent airborne. Say like any well Ebola is more fluid contact and hantavirus is is through suspended particles, but in, you know, the giving it the benefit of the doubt, they assume full protection. So that's why you see a lot of run on the masks. Uh, Zdenko, you want to give any input here? What, what do you, what do you think on all this? Well, uh, we don't have a lot of information on, on this particular virus because it's simply new. So a lot of scientists right now are currently trying to de uh, determine the virulency, uh, they're trying to determine, uh, well, they determine the genetical origin, but they're trying to also determine which particular parts of the virus would be the best uh, target to use in potential vaccine developments. Uh, but we don't know much. This is the problem. It's new. It's uh, very, very scary. And we don't have enough information. The only thing that we can do, we can compare it to previous viruses, same coronaviruses, uh, but yeah, this is the only thing how we can actually get some knowledge, comparison and going day by day and see what happens. For sure. I think that they've done uh, some research into, I think the last corona coronavirus that kind of ran rampant was SARS, if I'm, I could be wrong about that. Is that, Zinka, do you recall anything it, about that? Yeah, it was, it was SARS and then it was MERS. Yep. Middle yep. Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. Uh, but both of them uh, emerged uh, and they, well, they didn't cause this much commotion as this one caused uh, because both of them uh, kind of uh, disappeared very quickly. SARS in uh, 2002, 
with reported around 900 deaths, and MERS with reported 1,400, I think, uh, deaths, and that's pretty much it. It didn't kill half of the million people, as it's nearly it is now. Yeah, MERS too was, um, and and same with SARS to a certain extent. They were better mm-hmm. geographically isolated too, whereas this yes. went, this went from, you know, thanks to. Uh, pretty frequent air travel now and the the longer incubation period which we can get into that people weren't saying they were sick or showing any symptoms for say you know uh, i think it was seven to 14 days around 14 days yeah yeah and so if any of our listeners don't necessarily understand an incubation period let me let me just break it down so that's that's the um I like to I like to think about it like a like a piece of bread. If you drop a piece of bread on the ground, everybody likes to think of that five second rule. Well, if you give it five seconds on the ground, you know it's gonna pick up some nasty things. And then imagine the incubation period is how long from the time that you drop that piece of bread on the ground to how long did it start start growing mold and whatever that's on top of it. So uh, more. Um, was it more technically the incubation period inside your body would be is that as the virus is taking over healthy cells and then reprogramming them to make more copies of itself you know how long will you uh um how long will you not have symptoms that are associated with an, a viral infection so that's my uh that's my take on it well, also symptoms are connected with the disease onset. That means that we do not develop the uh, doesn't necessarily have to mean that we are uh, not contagious, that we are not sick, even if we are not showing the symptoms. Uh, we can have, for example, virus inside, and our immune system is able to kind of keep it under control, and then all of a sudden it just cannot, uh, doesn't, it loses the control, and kind of the virus is just spreads, and this is where the symptoms occur. Let's call it like this, simplified. Uh, so this is the thing. We can have this period of time in which our immune system is able to fight off to a certain extent while the virus is replicating. And then when it replicates in enough amount, in, in, in amount enough uh, for our immune system <clears throat> to... <clears throat> sorry. Are you okay? It, yeah, it's my allergy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> got <laughs> No, I'm allergic. I'm allergic a little bit to to spring and to something. I have to get it checked. So yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was at uh, our immune system is trying to fight off, and this is the incubation period, which we are kind of. It 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 can keep the virus under control, and then when the virus starts to abnormally replicate, it overwhelms our immune system, and it kind of uh, it it fights back, and this is where the symp- symptoms occur. So what what would be some mechanisms that the immune system would fight back against the virus for like something like this? For well, specifically for this kind of virus, uh, we have two stages. We have a first stage is called innate immune system, and the second one is adaptive immune system, which occurs within five to six days uh, after. So uh, initial is uh, innate immune system, uh, which means that. Uh, <clears throat> When the virus uh, infects the cell and starts to replicate, it is presented. Parts of these uh, parts of these viruses are recognized by specific cells called antigen-presenting cells, which uh, 
present the cells, uh, the present, present the part of uh, viral particles to T cells, which start to proliferate uh, and start, oh, sorry, I got well, a bit confused. I went straight into adaptive immune system. So uh, let's go from the beginning. Uh, when they present, uh, when they when uh, when the cells uh, detect uh, the virus, they start the cascade, and they actually get into uh, they release uh, several cytokines and hemokines, small signaling molecules that are uh, proteins that act as mediators. So the first line is <clears throat> generally the uh, antibodies. They're trying to neutralize the virus and the cells of the innate uh, immune system called macrophages, they're trying to phagocyte, they're trying to eat the virus. These cells, uh, specifically macrophages, macrophages in this case, as well as dendritic cells, present uh, the antigen to lymphocytes. And all of this occurs within two uh, one to two days maximum uh, and uh, they presented to T cells which then uh, start to proliferate they start to produce specific uh, cells that are targeted against this virus uh, and they again release the cytokines uh, release uh, the release cytokines and actually amplify the number but to fight this uh, to, to get to this point we need about five to six days uh, there are several types of immunomodulatory uh, molecules called interferons, which are fighting the virus, which are actually promoting the, uh, the uh, ability of macrophages to phagocyte. This is the innate, uh, innate immune system part. So uh, interferons in this case promote macrophages. They eat more of a virus. They present more to um, uh, they present more to uh, uh, T lymphocytes, uh, and then they actually amplify the whole cascade. Uh, then we have uh, T cells, which are fighters, let's call it that way. I like it that way. Uh, yeah, they are fighters, uh, but they can be memory T cells, which actually memorize, they create specified fighters, uh, and they create uh, cells that actually memorize uh, they, they memorize the mem they memorize the virus. They memorize to whom they have to fight against, uh, and they also create specific cytotoxic cells, which are invading and killing the cells in, uh, invaded by the virus. So this is a kind of like a really complex uh, mechanism that I'm I'm really trying to simplify it. I hope you guys understand because no, I can go into yeah no, yeah so I can cool. go. Yeah, I can go into really, it's really hard for me to find a simple way to how to explain it. I'm trying to explain it to like, I'm explaining it to my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> I but think yeah, you're, you're uh, better off doing that, yeah. Yeah, uh, so this is, this is how it goes. So then um, we also have these specified T cells that are also trying to kill uh, viruses, but they also promote B cells that are producing specialized antibodies, also targeting this specialized vi this special virus. Uh, so it takes, let's say, yeah, from six weeks to uh, six days, sorry, six days to two weeks, up to two weeks to actually have antibodies. So it's not a, it's a, it's something that actually needs to go. Yeah, uh, have, it, needs have, it, needs, it needs time. Yeah, it, it needs time. I mean, it takes so if uh, the immune system is 
what's it, strong enough, we are able to fight it off in a certain extent. We are able to keep it, uh, our immune systems are, uh, are able to keep it under control for a certain amount of time. Uh, but also viruses are cheap, well, tricky because they also have the ways how to invade the immune system, how to fight back, to fight to actually us fighting them. Uh, so this one in particular has the ability, I mentioned interference before, they have the ability how to block them. So they have subspecified proteins that actually act as an antagonist. So they're kind of like literally blocking the production of, uh, of cytokines that are able to promote the immune system against them. So this is why our immune system is not able to fight it off always. Yeah. Wow. Mm. That's, uh, that's pretty wild stuff. That, that's hot. Yeah. 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 That's wonderful. I have a, I have a couple of follow-up mm -hmm. questions for you ba based off of that. So it, it seems like there may be some people with some genetic predispositions. They've related mm -hmm. some things to blood type for people that cannot um, effectively fight off the virus. And there are also people that are immunocompromised. That's sort of one thing that I want to dive into. But to go right from the previous mechanism that you were elucidating... Mm -hmm. I'm wondering uh, if you might be able to explain, um, one, if after the body fights off the virus, can mm -hmm. people get reinfected in this case? And two, if someone gets, if we were to, how far are we away from potentially developing a vaccine for something like this? And if, explain the mechanism of how a vaccine would work for any particular virus doesn't have to be this one let's assume they're okay. they're all the same okay let's start from the beginning uh there have been uh people who actually got reinfected uh this is unfortunately possible because uh even though when when we go through infection and we actually uh develop antibodies because they stay this is what is the purpose of memory cells both memory T cells, memory B cells, uh, specific antibodies, uh, they can, but it means that uh, if they get uh, reinfected, the disease onset and the disease progress should be milder. But this can be probably due to um, not efficient immune response. Uh, we didn't have, I mean, the, the human, uh, the, the person who got infected and got reinfected probably didn't have enough antibodies, enough memory cells to fight it back completely. Uh, this unfortunately can happen. Uh, but in this case, from what we know, immunologists, is it should be a little bit less severe. Uh, then the vaccine uh, development, when it comes to the vaccine development, we are unfortunately very far away. We are trying to do it as soon as possible. Uh, the best approach right now would be, and I've read it yesterday, uh, they're trying to use uh, the plasma blood from people who actually had infection, who survived it, who are fine now, and they're using their antibodies their, uh, present in their blood. Uh, mm -hmm. They're using it as, and let's call it an antidote. This is how they're going to actually develop uh, a vaccine that is not prophylactic, but it's therapeutical, which could work in this case. And this would be, at this moment, from my opinion, the best approach. Uh, when it comes to prophylactic vaccine, the one that protects and actually initiates the immune system uh, and initiates the response and actually the protective immunity, it works pretty much the same for every vaccine. 
for every virus, uh, we can have several types. It can be live attenuated, it can be inactivated, uh, submit, uh, subunit or uh, recombinant polysaccharide, some kind of particle, and it can be toxic. So to actually find proper vaccine for this virus, we're very far away. We need to know uh, which part, uh, whether to use the entire virus to uh, attenuate it. To means it means to keep it alive, but to uh, kind of lower its ability to um, infect the host. Inactivate that means killed virus, either to use a killed virus or not or use some kind of part, like for example, a capsid or a part of the envelope or the part of the um, piece of, one, literally a piece of virus, or use a toxin, like the toxin in, in case of, for example, fetanus when they're using, or diphtheria. These are mostly for bacterial vaccinations. But, you know, we have to really figure out what to use. Uh, then we have to go through several clinical trials, preclinical clinical trials, determine the safety, uh, which takes a lot of time, a lot of uh, a lot of subjects. Uh, clinical trials take roughly ten years to actually determine the safety, the efficacy. So we are unfortunately very far away from actually having a proper vaccine. It can be done in a speedy process. Uh, some estimations is that we can. Uh, some estimations uh, are that we can have it within, I think, two years. But I wouldn't be so optimistic, uh, but the mechanism of the vaccine, as you mentioned it, it's pretty much uh, the same for every vaccine. It goes literally like this. We vaccinate a person. Uh, we uh, amplify the immune system by activating first innate immune system, which recognizes the, uh, the pathogen. Uh, and then activates the whole cascade that I actually meant before. In the case seen, we are relying to uh, antigen-presenting uh, antigen cells, specifically dendritic cells, uh, which present the antigen. They are literally giving a portion to, uh, of uh, a pathogen to T cell, saying, look what I found, and I have this, and you have to fight against it. Uh, so uh, they are uh, developing the whole cascade. So briefly like just kind of like summarize it t cells actually <clears throat> activate uh, they recognize the antigen they start to proliferate but they start to proliferate in a specific manner they're actually uh coding themselves to recognize and to fight uh the pathogen next time they occur uh, it occurs in the body also what they do is that they uh activate b cells specific b cells uh, they are producing antibodies which are able to neutralize uh, the pathogen as well. So that means that uh, they are actually producing specialized antibodies that are going to circulate in our blood for a very long time, in certain cases for the rest of our lives. Uh, so uh, this is how every vaccine basically works. If, so if so basically... To, if, we want people to get vaccinated for the flu and yes. these other things. Yeah. We want people to get vaccinated against everything. Literally. We want people that, to people? get vaccinated. We want people to get vaccinated because it's also something, it's not just about uh, protection of individual, it's the protection of uh, everyone. We also have herd immunity, which means that in the case of, um, well, I think the best 
Example for that right now would be measles because it's reoccurring, unfortunately, due to I'm not going to vaccinate my child. Uh, we are having uh, herd immunity. That means that 90% uh, of population is vaccinated. Uh, the virus is still there, but our bodies are detecting it and they're fighting it because once when you have specialized warriors inside your body, they're able to reprodu reproduce in a very quick uh, manner. They're, uh, they're able to reproduce literally within six days and they are able to fight back much more efficiently. So this is why we don't have the symptoms. This is why we don't actually get sick when we are vaccinated. And people who are not able to be vaccinated are protected because we are not getting sick and we cannot transmit that disease to them. So this is the whole point of the vaccine. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, yeah, very uh, complicated. <laughs> I it think that, yeah. It is extremely complicated. The whole mechanism it takes, um, I've been trying to kind of like simplify it and put it within two or three sentences, but that's the whole mechanism of how vaccine works is basically my entire PhD. So it, it's... <laughs> it didn't take very long. So it's, you know, like whatever, you know, just, no, it, it's good. I think I think that for people with a basic understanding of biology, you, you, you're really knocked out of the park. I mean, I... I yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I remember my my microbiology class when we got to the immuno immunology things he the guy just threw up his hands and said i'm going to teach you what i can but in 10 years this is going to be all out of date and uh Zdenka just confirmed that because there's some buzzwords i knew but then i was like huh i didn't know we knew that so anyway it's yeah vaccinology is a field that is it is changing constantly so uh developing the vaccine is not an easy thing it's not like you know i'm gonna design a dress and i'm gonna have it within six weeks no it it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of time a lot of knowledge a lot of very skilled people uh, a lot of a lot of money unfortunately uh so yeah it, it is a process so we'll see how this is going to develop with this specific virus i hope because this one proved to be a little bit more dangerous than the rest of the family uh but uh, i hope we will have the vaccine soon and honestly i believe this is the lesson learned for people because some of my anti-vax friends are trying to get their portion of the vaccines as soon as possible. So I think this is at some point, if we take it on another, on another side, something bad for something good. So I think this would be the good part out of it. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty weighty thing. I mean, there's also, um, like Sidinka and I live in the Czech Republic and Justin's living in the U S obviously I'm from the U S but when you, we compare the healthcare systems out of the God, uh, like I'm just gonna 40, 40 member states of the EU. I know that number is wrong, but just for the for a comparison state. Versus, Honestly, I have no yeah, idea no, how it, many states in EU yeah. are. But but when we compare that to the state by state medical procedures within the U.S., not medical procedures, medical practices. I don't know what the right word is, and how each uh, state has been doing its own either shelter in place. Or when you have the wonderful people, say, from Mississippi and Alabama who are overriding local governors and say, hey, this isn't a big deal. It's just a cough. Go and do whatever the hell you want. Uh, I think hopefully we've sort of elucidated some of the some of the uh, I don't know, the processes under which the virus can can and will continue replicating, but also that this is a, a grave situation 
I, I, I think I could speak that scientists don't really give, you know, like, oh, this is going to be the end of the world. But we can say, hey, you know, you're, you're putting yourself at undue risk if you're going out and like licking light poles and, and sneezing on people. So, yeah. Well, honestly, if they're licking poles, uh, I would say, well, in their case, if they get sick and they die, it's, well, evolution. It's not the survival of the fittest, but survival of the smartest in this case. But uh, unfortunately, they will. They will transmit it to somebody else. This is the this is the problem. People don't realize yeah. that they can be asymptomatic. They can uh, be uh, transmitters. They don't have to even have a disease progress as you know as severe. They may just you know walk it off literally. Uh, but they will infect somebody else. They will infect somebody who is immunocompromised. They will infect somebody who is sick with something else, and this person is going to die. So we have to think about this. It's not about us. It's about the community. I like it. I think that um, just I want to clarify something for our listeners as well. If you're going through some of the, the primary literature on the virus, or if you're reading the CDC reports or the World Health Organization reports like a maniac like I am, You'll often see that a lot of the people who end up perishing from the disease have you know, these you know, pre-existing conditions or mm-hmm. are immunocompromised. So I just wanted to discuss what some of those are, what some of those uh, I've seen are listed in the reports I've read. So mm-hmm. um, some of the reports list uh, obesity, not obesity outright, but a lot of comorbid factors that lead to obesity. So type 2 diabetes, this mm-hmm. uh liver disease, they didn't list cirrhosis, but um, this uh, fatty liver disease. And, and of course, I'm blanking, I can't remember <laughs> right now. Um, <laughs> Jess, what, did you run into anything that said other, like, uh, what other risk factors for this would be? Like, what would be identified as a, like a, an at risk population besides? Uh, yeah, definitely the elderly, uh, for sure. So there's an age demographic that's uh, mm-hmm. Obviously targeted, germ immunocompromised. There are people that um, have autoimmune disorders. People also um, that have had transplants in the past, so heart transplant. Uh, people that have had uh, major surgeries, like open heart surgery, or maybe they have a pacemaker, for example. And then, um, as it pertains to nutrition and you know what we try to dive into specifically on the podcast, fitness and nutrition and staying healthy, it, it seems that people that have developed, uh, as Jordan already sort of, um, you know, mentioned, people that have uh, gotten to a point in their life where they're overweight um, and they've developed underlying human diseases such as heart disease and type 2 diabetes, they're also at an increased risk because, um you know, they, they are also immunocompromised in a sense because their body, um, at least the way that I think about it simplistically, is that their body spends a lot of time and effort, um, you know, just trying to stay healthy from being overweight, you know, uh, or having, you know, organs that need extra attention. So they don't, yeah. the, the body only has so much time to fight off something exogenous, um, such as a virus or, uh, you know, anything else. So that's simplistically the way that I, that I think about it. I don't know if Zinka has another, um, 
perspective that that gets at sort of a deep deeper rooted well, mechanism of this you're actually actually right i mean technically when it comes to specifically to obese people and people with uh specifically with type 2 diabetes and type 1 diabetes also as an autoimmune disease technically type type 2 diabetes has been debated also as a autoimmune disease for the past five or six years they are actually uh taking it under the wing of um autoimmune diseases as well uh, in their case uh, technically uh, they are actually having um, in, for example internal swellings uh, just like uh, people with the diabetes type 2 specifically uh, they um, they have they can have increased inflammation internal swelling which can be uh, caused by above target blood sugars and uh, so when you have one ongoing inflammation, as you said, in your body, and then you actually get to another one, you actually get to another one, uh, the body just cannot handle it. So something is going to prevail, something is going to literally kill the person. And the same thing goes with uh, heart disease, uh, with people who have transplants. These people specifically, they have to take immunosuppressant drugs, which means that they already have their immune system suppressed by another agent so they cannot fight back uh, because their immune system is literally suppressed it's tamed down to keep the organ in place that is not theirs so these people cannot fight virus like this they cannot fight most of the diseases the, the, in, a, in a proper way uh, then we have people who are uh, immunodeficient, people who uh, have different deficiencies that can be caused by, for example, HIV virus. This is common immunodeficiency, but we also have uh, deficiencies they, that are uh, chronic, that are coming like chronic ones, that are coming, people are literally born with them. Uh, one part of the immune system is not working properly and they cannot fight the virus back. They cannot they don't have a chance simply because they have one part of their body not functioning properly. It's the same thing like um, not having, let's say, a functional functional spleen, functional liver, and you're trying to drink excessively, but uh, you don't have a functional liver, you're going to die. It is the same thing. You don't have, You don't have a functional immune system for some reason and you contract a virus like this, you're going to die. Yeah. There's a lot of um, things that maybe not appearing in the literature so far, but I've been talking to my clinician friend. She's a, she's a doctor and she has a doctor in nursing back mm -hmm. home in the States. And we've had discussions about, you know, say you end up in the hospital, you're not, you know, you're fairly young and there's no problem. It's not so much the virus that causes the problem at that point is that you're mm -hmm. in a hospital and you can, uh, you can catch all sorts of pneumonia or another, uh, you know, uh, uh, antibiotic resistant strain yes. of bacteria just because, you know, your, your lungs, uh, they've, they've had sort of anecdotal reports that this virus causes your, you know, obviously the ventilator, uh, discussion. So you have to constantly be under the pressure of having the, mm -hmm. um, the air, literally the air pressure forced into your lungs, but the the other side of that is this accumulation of fluid, and that is just a bacterial breeding ground at that point. So yes, yes, um, uh, this is the problem with hospitals. Yes, yeah. we people contract a lot of different, well, 
things there. Yeah. Uh, they are not supposed to contract. This is yeah. This is this is this is a normal thing. This is to to be expected in hospital, unfortunately. Uh, so this is why young people can also die uh, from this because they're not dying from the virus itself. Uh, they will die from something that was caused, something opportunistic. So uh, technically, everybody is at risk if we look at that way. Uh, but you know, mostly people who are immunocompromised with autoimmune diseases because they have ongoing inflammation already in their body. Every autoimmune disease is basically an inflammation. The body is fighting itself unfortunately. Uh, so they are also taking different drugs that, uh, that, are, that are taming the immune system down. But um, if they contract this virus or, for example, flu as well, uh, it can be a lot more... Uh, it, it, is, it is actually much more dangerous than for, let's say, you and me who are healthy. But still, everybody is at risk. Yeah. I, I think that that's the... As the um, diagnosis of this virus is changing right when it you know started in China as it made it way th- it's currently ongoing Zinka and I are still under official full quarantine. quarantine in the Czech Republic but as it's making its way into the US um, which is just uh, it's a very complicated situation with the health practices and also what is uh, what is considered healthy versus uh, the rest of the world it's a it's a complicated thing and i just hope that everything starts to kind of roll the right way so um we're pretty close to being sort of our our time limit so we don't put our listeners to sleep did anybody want to sort of chime in any last thoughts or no i think zinka you knocked it out the park um this was exactly what i think our listeners needed to hear and we went over so much uh regarding what the virus is the mechanism of the virus what people are, uh, you know, what people are uh, at a higher risk, and um, how people are at low risk can protect people of higher risk. And we definitely, I think, gave a message to the anti-vaxxers out there. And I think now they're starting to realize the severity of, of, um, of this, as it pertains to people that, uh, you know, unfortunately don't have the immune system, uh, as you elucidated, to fight this on their own. So. Um, honestly, thank you. Thank you so much. It was, uh, I definitely learned a lot. I'll tell you yeah. that. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, well, thank I, you. I, I tried, to, you're welcome. I tried to keep it simplified and this is where I get kind of like confused because I'm used to saying when I say to people like, ah, oh, CD4 plus cells and CD8 plus cells and they're all cooperating, they actually understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> May as well be Croatian at that point for as well. As yeah, exactly. 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 This is why I tried to keep it as simple as possible. And this is what, uh, yeah. What's simple for me, it's not simple for everybody else. So, yeah, I have to remember that. All right. Uh, Just, you want to take us out or you want me to do the, the closing credits on this one? Yeah, man, uh, I think we're good. So th- thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast app and check out the link uh, in the show notes uh, for discounts off of uh, you know several uh, products from our sponsors. So thank you guys so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Science.